You're listening to the Utah Checkdown Podcast. And now your hosts, Josh Furlong and Robert Jackson. Welcome back to another edition of the Utah Checkdown Podcast. I am Josh Furlong, joined with my co-host Robert Jackson. And once again, we're joined with University of Utah wide receiver Solomon Enos. Solo, what's going on? What's going on? How y'all doing today? Doing well. It's 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 Wednesday, but it feels like hump a Monday. Day. Yeah, hump day. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to start our podcast, right? Definitely, definitely. <laughs> it feels like a Monday to me. I'm not gonna lie. Mostly because we talk to you on Mondays, but today just feels like it's it's dragged on, and I just don't have that energy. Guys- no, I feel that, especially well for us. It's just like. I feel like what this is game six now. Yeah. And it feels like yeah. the weeks are slow, but it's flying or the days are slow, but the weeks are flying by. That makes sense. I guess that's the best way to put it. So I'm with you on that one. That's got to feel like a blur just in the season, right? Like, I mean, it's like for me when I'm covering you guys, it, 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 you know, I feel like the same thing every single week and it feels like it goes fast, but it's got to be completely different for you guys as you're just like constantly just looking at film and doing different things that way. Yeah, definitely. It's, I, it's just the same routine. I feel like, I mean, anybody gets in a routine, Josh, Rob, y'all get in your routine. It's just like every day, every day, unless something, you know, yeah, that one thing that you're looking forward to, or, you know, it's just that routine that you get stuck in and just time flies and everything changes a little bit, but every like the main thing stays the main thing, you know? So. I feel you on that one. That one's it, I don't know. I feel like life is just a repetitive cycle, but you know, it's fun, right? Like it's, it's, it's fun to be able to do it. So for sure. Um, obviously you guys get a nice win over Oregon state this week. Um, I, I you know, I think it, the, the betting line, if we want to go on that, kept it relatively close. I mean, it was within like 10 points if I remember correctly. Um, but you guys won 42 to 16. I mean, what do you feel like you guys are finally hitting your stride and, and, and do you feel like you're kind of there or, or do you still see kind of uh, those imperfections and the things that you still need to work on as you guys progress throughout this, uh, this season? Yeah, I think it's definitely fun winning games, but I believe our mentality is just focusing on those imperfections. I feel like week in, week out, you know, we're taking it day by day, but, you know, even even with winning games, it's like, oh, we could have done this better. We could have done this better instead of like, oh, we won. Like, yeah, you celebrate it, but I think we come back to reality real quick and realize like we could have done things a lot better. And I think that's been week in, week out. Everyone's saying that we're hitting our stride, this, that, and the other. But I think we're just finding more things to fix and finding more things to improve upon because new things pop up every week. You're never going to be perfect. So I think, you know, we're, we're constantly attacking those imperfections. And I think that's what's paying off. But there's more imperfections that are coming along that we have to handle as well. Now, Saturday, you uh, you were held out. Uh, we're not going to talk about why, but talk talk to us a little bit about kind of how the game experience changes when you're watching on the sideline to, um, you know, just being more of a coach and a uh, kind of a cheerleader for the rest of the team. Like, how does that uh, go through uh, for you like it did on Saturday? So I will first off say that I absolutely hate not playing. I hate seeing my guys suited up, especially the receiver group, everyone going through the routine, everything. I hate not doing that, but I know that it's bigger than me. So when I have that position where I can sit back 
and not necessarily be in the player's role on game day, but really sit back and, you know, try to help the guys on the sideline or help them see what I'm seeing or, you know, you should do this or hearing what they have to say. It's pretty good. I mean, I, I honestly enjoy it, not hinting at coaching in my future, but, um, you know, I just enjoy being around the guys in any way that I can, either if it's playing, not playing, you know, I'm definitely going to do it. Uh, Saturday, you know, obviously I wish I was playing, but, you know, I went, uh, Brent came to the game, so Brent and I came together to the game, so that was good. Um, and then, yeah, just being on the sidelines, just especially seeing how the game was playing out. I mean, the ball was being spread around. Everyone was getting touches. Bailey had a crazy game. JD went crazy. Dalton had a touchdown. Cam was going crazy. Seeing Clark have three interceptions from the sideline point of view was insane. Uh, you know, I obviously want to be out there playing because I love to compete, but you know, sometimes you got to be smart. And I took the advantage of, you know, being there for my guys, being there, supporting them, highs, lows, whatever you want to call it. But I had a good time, you know, making sure that they had someone there that was listening and seeing what they were seeing, you know, because I am a player at the end of the day. I know how they think and feel. So having that relatability, is that even a word? (laughs) Having someone (laughs) to be able to relate to during the game, you know, I think it not only helps me, but helps them as well. Dude, I mean, I know going into these games, there's always adrenaline, right? Like playing is a different environment and, and you do it. But I, I, do you get that same environment, that same adrenaline rush and you're on the sidelines knowing that knowing that clearly you're not going to play, but, you know, you're you're kind of hyped for your for your teammates? Yeah, definitely. I think it's just, you know, being held out Saturday and, you know, it being a, a home game during the day and it was a big game against Oregon State, it definitely – it made me realize how much I've been missing out in the sense of like really absorbing the moment because when you're suited up, like you're locked in, your whole mentality has changed. Uh, when you're being like, for me, when I was held out, my mentality shifted from, okay, let me try to help and try to fit into where I can on the sideline and do what I can to help the team. But when you're standing there, you're seeing the fans and everyone's like the stadium was filled, especially during a day game. You see everyone, you know, it, it's just a surreal feeling. And I still get goosebumps and, and, uh, and just that adrenaline rush. Like I'm even more hyped from like just watching them, watching my guys go out there and do what they love to do. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I still love being out there playing. I think I get more enjoyment out of that, but, you know, being out Saturday really showed how special college football football or college football is and college football here at the U is, you know, the fan base, the supporters, everyone on the sideline, you know, everyone plays a part, and, you know, really getting to see that is something really special. A guy that's been with Utah a little bit longer than you, actually, Jalen Dixon. He uh, redshirted in 2017, so I think he has a year up on you. Mm-hmm. But uh, he he caught, he started the uh, offense off with a touchdown catch, and then he had a touchdown run later in the game. Talk about him as a player and what you've seen from him this year in making a bit of a resurgence in his career. Man, it's just, it's great to see. I think JD, I mean, everyone has everything that goes on outside of football or school. Or, you know, everyone has their adversity that they're facing in life. and But people don't get to see it because it's it's not their business. So JD had his own stuff going on that nobody needs to know about because that's his business and his personal things he was going through. But if he lets you in on that, and then now you're seeing where he's grown from that and what he's doing now, that's why I think like, the coaches and players are so excited for him and everyone was just like well jd was doing this in 2019 like what's so exciting why y'all happy now all of a sudden it's because we're with him day in day out and we see the progress he's been making so this year 
especially last game, you know, it's, you can't be nothing but happy for him. You know, like from the adrenaline rush we were just talking about earlier, just seeing him score that first drive and then taking that reverse around to the crib. It's just like, it's so surreal. And it's, you just, we have genuine love for each other. So him doing that is just like, like good for you. Like we know what you've been through and you you keep pushing through. You're still here. You're still doing what you love to do. And you're not going to let anything phase you or take you away from that. And I think that's where all the happiness and um, the excitement for him comes from. So I'm excited. I mean, it's only week six coming up, um, but the, the, ceiling, the sky's the limit. There's no ceiling for JD, and, you know, I'm happy for him. You know, I think that's got to be kind of a hard thing, right, in the sense that you've got fans that they clearly see you guys on Saturdays or whatever day you guys are playing that week, and they, they kind of draw this, uh, a, 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 you know, a, affection for you in some respects based on how you perform on the field. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. there's other things that go on, and, and – and, you know, they, they learn about you guys through the interviews that we do with you guys and the stories that we write or they see about you. But you don't really get to peel back a lot of that stuff. And I, I think, you know, for me, somebody that's a lot closer to you guys than obviously the regular fan, it's, it's kind of fun to be able to see kind of your personal stories and kind of see things going on. And even then, I'm removed from what you guys are obviously dealing with every day. But... Do you feel like there there's sometimes a disconnect between fans and that just knowing like okay look like JD's been working his butt off, you know this is why we're so excited or or do you kind of think that it is a good relationship the way you've had it where it's just like look we're gonna worry about what we do you know the fans are gonna worry about what they do and we're just all gonna kind of work together but or, or do you see kind of a way where those things can kind of blend a little bit more? I think they blend. I in my personal opinion, um, you know speaking off of what I've been through. For example, ASU two weeks ago, I didn't play the best game. I, I know that. I mean, I don't have to have anyone tell me how I played because I know how I played. But there's like, there's fans that know you and then there's fans that know the the program. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. Like, I have love for all of our fans. Like, we have a, such a unique fan base and a, and a supportive fan base. Like, that was one of the reasons why I came here. And that's one of the reasons, one of the major reasons I'm still here. But everyone has something to say. But at the end of the day, it's just like you got to control who you listen to because there's there's so many, I guess we would say just tribulations in, in the sense of I have my own stuff that I have to do with, that I have to separate from football. Like I'm more than a football player than it, than just a guy that puts on a jersey and a helmet runs out there. Like I have a lot to separate when I'm on that field. Yo, it's time for football and separate everything else. So I think it's a good blend of, you know, how our fans are with – because there's a lot of supportive people in our in our program. I think a lot of people support our players. Obviously, there's some, I mean, everyone has fans where it's just like they watch the game. When you're doing good, you're good. When you're doing bad, they're going to let you know you're doing bad. But I think for the most part, especially our fan base, a lot of them stay supporting you no matter what. Um, and, you know, that's the reason why I think our team is so good because, yeah, we don't really have, we don't really want to listen to the outside noise. But when you're, fans and everyone's still supporting you even when you're in the lowest of times that really gives you like that boost and that confidence that sometimes you need i mean sometimes you do need that i mean i'm not saying you need that every week every day every hour every minute but i mean it's good to hear that from someone else rather than in the building sometimes as well so i think it's a perfect blend here at utah i think i mean what especially with nio i think that introduced so much more of that connectedness between the golf tournaments or between any events that's going on you know, you really get to meet more than the football player and you get to meet more than just the person that sits in the stands. I think it's a mutual relationship. So, um, like you said, I think it's a perfect blend. Oh, there was a point in the game where <clears throat> Cam Rising gets tackled 
uh, one of the Oregon State players tosses his shoe. Cam took it personally and kind of put it in his face later on. Uh, what what have you seen from Cam this season that makes it seem like he is grown as a quarterback and kind of that fire that we kind of saw on Saturday? Have you have you kind of seen that in practice, or is that just something that we uh, that we saw on Saturday against Oregon State? Well, I think it was on. I think we talked about it before, but I mean, I don't know if y'all seen that video of that high school kid when he's talking about his teammates. But Cam is a dog, like. He's going to get after. He's competitive. He does it the right way. He leads the right way. He practices, prepares the right way. That, that's just who Cam is. Yeah, I mean, he got a flag for it, which can be corrected. I mean, we all understand that. Not everything and everyone's perfect. But, I mean, Cam does everything right. Cam, we see him day in, day out. He's just a competitive dude, and he just makes plays, and he leads his team, and he's just a dog. I think that just sums it up. Like, Cam is a dog. We have a lot of dogs on this team, and Cam is one of them. How does Coach Witt handle those those type of penalties? Is, does he just kind of brush it out of the rug, like, don't do it again? I mean, we saw it happen with Covey last year where he did the flex on the ASU defender. I mean, what? Uh, how does Kyle handle something like that? He's definitely going to let you know about it. Uh, he's not going to hide it, no matter if he's on the headsets or the cameras on him during the game. He's going to let you know. Um, but obviously some stuff, I mean, refs, um, as much as we love the refs, sometimes they're not perfect. I mean, they got certain calls, and sometimes we're not perfect. We'll do something that we don't think is wrong. They're going to throw the flag. We might, you know, it's vice versa. If we think we did something right and they throw the flag, it's like, what the heck? Like, why are you doing You know, it's just it's a judgment call at the end of the day, and you have to live with it at the end, at the end of the day. So he's definitely going to let you know about it. So there's no doubt about that. Even if it's questionable or not, he's going to talk to you about it, and he's going to let you know how he's feeling, or he's going to ask you what happened, and then – it's either you learn from it or it's like, all right, just don't do that again. You know, it's it depends on the situation. What was more surprising, Britain flexing or uh, Cam getting that that flag? Honestly, I didn't think Cam does. I don't I mean, I wasn't I didn't really see it because I was already jumping around like cheering my teammates that because who scored on that? Was it him or Vele? And he uh, got into it. It was Vele. Yeah, it was Vele. Yeah, because I'm already jumping on crazy because I saw Vele score, and I didn't see it. But if I remember correctly, I would say that, like, I don't know, I'm, I don't know why Cam got a flag. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a ref. I don't. They have a lot of stuff on their plate anyway, so I'm not going to question their calls. But yeah, first Cubbies, off, who, th- who throws a shoe? I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, no. This, but see, at that point, it's like, do you deserve a flag on that? Like, why did they miss that? You know, you, it's hard to question it, but. Covey's was, I mean, <laughs> yeah, Covey's was just, yeah, just, and then it turned into a meme, and then he turned it into merch, <laughs> and it was just like, well, maybe that flag was a good thing for our folk. I don't know, but, uh, yeah, I think Cam's was less, I guess you would say, I don't want to say lethal, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't think Cam should have got a flag for that, but I'm not a ref at the end of the day. I think it probably helped that after uh, Covey's that the you guys scored, and so it, it, it kind of took the the sting away from that because I can only imagine Kyle if you guys had uh, fizzled out on offense and either had to kick a field goal or just turn over on downs. I'm I'm sure oh, that would have been. <laughs> yeah, you don't mean. Ha- oh yeah, that would have been a bad situation. <laughs> I mean, we we hear this all the time, right? Like you'll hear you'll you know everybody's like, oh Kyle's gonna go crazy in the locker room or stuff like that. And, you know, and I'm not I'm not telling you to divulge any super secrets or whatever, but. I mean, there, there's obviously a clear difference when things aren't going well, I'm assuming, with when Kyle comes into that locker room. I'm, or, or am I wrong? No, I mean, every, I mean, 
I guarantee everybody suspects that. I mean, that's just how a coach is. When stuff hits the fan, he's going to turn it up a notch. If we need to do little improvements, he's going to be like, all right, like, let's go. Like, you got to do, you know, it's just, it depends on the situation. But, you know, I think they take it, Coach Witt and all of our coaches take it so personal because you just got to respect the game. You know, get up, hand the ball to the ref. You know, do things the right way because the game will pay it back to you. And, uh, you know, do it with class. Do it like you've been there before. And, you know, it's funny to talk about, but it, it has some truth to it. Um, their reactions are genuine to it. They're just trying to make sure that everyone does everything the right way. And uh, sometimes it's questionable. Sometimes it's deserved. It's just, you know, pay respect to the game because the game will respect you in return. I was going to say, you guys won <clears throat> pretty comfortably, but there's still, like you said, there's still some criticisms that you can take away from the game. Uh, one of those is that Utah missed your run blocking. Like uh, they just didn't have the production from the running backs and cam obviously made up for that. Jalen had an, the, the reverse that we talked about. Is, is that something that you guys prepare for and how can you kind of help coach up some of the younger players that may not have had that much experience in the run block schemes per se? Yeah. So I think it's just, if you're going to have a good team that wants to go far, you have to be balanced. You can't, I mean, let me say this first that you have to be balanced so you can do both, but Utah is primarily wanting to run the ball. Cause that's just, being physical and being tough, you know, and we have the guys to do it. So even if we we game plan that we're going to throw the ball the whole game, we still better know how to run the ball. Even if we know how to run the ball, we still better know how to throw the ball and make plays downfield. So it, you can always adjust and there's not really no, you're not caught by surprise or anything like that. So, yeah, I, th- I think, you know, we're going to, we watched the film already. I think we have, we already have a, a walkthrough under belt under our belt we have a practice under our belt and you know that we're already harping on it like i said earlier it's just those little imperfections i mean it wasn't the best but there's definitely room to improve upon and you know i think when you come to utah and that's embracing the culture as well that with these young guys coming in is like this is how we do things here unless there's a drastic change in college football this is how utah is going to be we got great defense we got a great run game and we got guys on the outside that can make plays that's just how utah is So it's either, as everyone likes to say, you're either in the way or all in or in the way, you know. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's just chasing those imperfections and, you know, getting everybody on board. And, you know, some games we're going to have Tavion, Makai, Charlie. We're going to have all these – or JJ now going to have those breakout running games. And then we're going to have games that Dalton, Vele, Money, JD, myself, we're going to pop off and go crazy and have crazy stats as well. And it can always go back and forth, but making sure that we stay consistent to who we are, our culture, and how we play Utah football, I think that's the biggest point of emphasis. Speaking of stats, I mean, how how deep do you guys get into that, right? Like in the NFL, you see those guys, they're on the sidelines, they're looking at those surface tablets and everything, and that's more for quarterbacks and some other guys. But how 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 involved does that get for you guys at the collegiate level, behind the scenes? Obviously, film is something, but... Do, do you guys get individualized things based on you, you know, how you perform or, or what is, what is that relationship in, in that world? Or are, do the coaches just mostly focus on that? I think it's just more of, so when you come off the field, we have our areas that we go to and our coaches come to us and address us. So they're probably talking on the headsets. Um, but for example, bump, well, so Cam will come sit down, put a headset on, we'll talk to Lud or whoever's on the other side of it. Bump will come to me and Vele or the receivers that are, that were in on the series and talk to them saying, hey, we need to do this, we need to do that. It's not necessarily like stats or anything like that. It's just we got to tighten these things up because it's play by play. Like we're not really looking ahead or what happened. It's like, all right, we got to fix this. Now let's move on to the next play. Um, especially with O-Block, um, Coach Harden will come down, 
he does his little thing with them, make sure everyone's squared away and what we want to do and what we're going to do. And then we just take it play by play from there. Seems like a fun so balance a lot. You said what? Oh, I was just going to say, it seems like a fun balance to try to figure out that and like just seeing what you need to do, what the coaches see. So I don't know. Go ahead, Rob. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you just, I mean, if you love football and you, you understand football, it's good to talk football. Because if you're talking to someone that knows what they're talking about, it's like you have a productive conversation from it's like, hey, I see this out there. Like, what do you think of this, this, this? And then Coach Bone will be like, well, I think this, this, this. Bailey will chime in and it's just back and forth. So I'm assuming it's, I mean, within within every position group from defense, to offense, to special teams. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you're talking ball with people that know ball, I mean, you're only going to get better. So I think that's really our on-field adjustments. And then obviously halftime's a different story, but I think on the go, like tighten everything up and then play by play here we go so you guys are heading down to face ucla you know a top 25 matchup with you guys being 11 they're i think they're number 18 in the latest ap poll uh you do you guys get a lot of downtime on road trips and are you guys talking football like what do you did you go to, do you go to movies like what do you guys do in kind of your downtime on some of these road trips uh so depending how we play or what time we play at saturday that really dictates what we do. But Friday, Fridays is the best Fridays in football. We're just with the team, you know, whatever they got got us doing. But we're mainly, especially away games, good teams win on the road. So um, it's just a business trip. We don't really get much downtime. It's we're here for one reason and we get out, you know, and that's just the mentality that we have, especially home games. Um, even though we're only there for like less than 48 hours, it's just all business at that point. So yeah, we have a little bit of time to enjoy like camaraderie and, you know, all the teammates kicking it and stuff, but most of the time it's just straight ball. What do you guys like to do? Are you guys playing poker, video games? What what is the what is the uh I, I, obviously it's not reading based on your uh <laughs> social media post from yesterday, but uh I mean, what do you guys like to do? I mean, it just depends. So, depending on the time we play, like for example, we're going to play in the afternoon, so we won't be up late Friday night, so we might just be, we have like, we watch either games in the dinner room. We'll watch college games that are on right now or at that moment. Um, they usually have some other stuff going on. Like you can get a, um, we get massages and stuff, treatment if you need that, or you can watch film. They'll have film set up for us as well. But you have to be downstairs with everyone doing something. It's not like you just go up to your room and you're by yourself. Like this is the best Fridays in football. You have to be with your teammates and why not be with your teammates, you know? So I think, those are really like the main things we do. We just kick around and just lounge until we have to go to meetings or, or anything important like that, like players meetings, stuff like that. So, so Clark had three picks. Is he just a, a film study addict? Is he always in the watching films? I mean, Clark's just a professional. He knows how it goes. He knows how it works. And you could see that the first day he got here um, and everyone can see that. And I mean, it's paying off, you know, and um, credit to him. I mean, he works hard. He watches film. I forgot what Coach Shaw always says, but I mean, that's just all of our coaches say, you know, you watch film, you prepare, you do the right things on and off the field. I mean, it's all going to line up for you to give you a best shot at performing the best. So, um, I mean, you, you see, I don't know why Oregon State kept trying him, but I mean, Clark is a dog. So uh, he went after and he, you know, he attacked it and that was the out outcome of it. You would think that after like maybe two interceptions that you'd probably stop throwing towards Clark, but you know, teach their own. <laughs> I don't know. Well, cause the whole season, I don't, I don't really think anybody was really going after him that much, you know, just from what I've seen on the sideline. 
and um for Oregon State to do that I mean I mean I don't know if it was in the game plan or not but let the athletes play you know so I Clark took advantage and that was the outcome Obviously, you gotta, you know, we we don't want to keep you for too long. You got to get up to the U for for everything that you have to do. Uh, but I want to get you out on this one last question about UCLA. Obviously, this is a, a, a tough matchup. UCLA comes in at five and zero. Um, they've looked really good. I'm sure you guys have seen a lot of those things on tape. You've played them before. Um, this isn't a new opponent by any means, but they they do provide a lot of of seasoned talent on that team. What do you, what do you guys expect? Or, or I guess what do you what do you see from this game as as you go into the Rose Bowl, knowing that this is now re- a return to where you guys you know were just in January. It's an emotional spot, I'm sure, but now you've got to be able to perform at a high level against a team that that a lot of people are wondering is if they're real. I mean, UCLA is a great team. So here I'll tell you this. So before the season started, we always talk about like our schedule and this, that, and the other, and nobody was talking much about UCLA, like. You know, there was so much hype around USC with uh with all the transfers and stuff like that. I was, but I was thinking that UCLA was, I mean, like you said, they got a lot of seasoned talent. They bring back a lot of players, got a lot of athletes. And I know it sounds the same old, same old, like, oh, he's humble. He's being, like, having humil- humility and just, you know. But, I mean, they're a great team. Put on the film, it shows it. So we have our hands full, and we're going to take it day by day and prepare how we prepare and you know, get ready to play Utah football. Um, but yeah, nonetheless, they're a great team. We're playing there at home at 12 p.m. And it's going to be a good game. I mean, we're going to prepare the best we can and hopefully come out with a W. But um, this is definitely a game not to, we don't, we're not sleeping on this game at all. You know, we have to be ready because they're going to be ready. Um, so yeah, we're, I, def, I definitely agree though. The team's looking forward to it. And uh, like I said, UCLA is a great team. It's going to be a great matchup. Well, awesome. We uh, we look forward to seeing you guys out there on, on Saturday and, and being able to see kind of how you compete against uh, UCLA in a in a you know one of the most iconic venues of all time. So uh, we appreciate you once again joining us on the podcast, and uh, we look forward to chatting with you again next week. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me again. I love coming here every week and talking to y'all one day out of the week. Everybody that's listening, make sure y'all so, show support to these guys. Great podcast, and I appreciate y'all for having me. Awesome. Hey, good Thank luck you. on Saturday. Thank you. Appreciate y'all. See you. Always good. Always good to be able to have Solo on here. I don't. I don't. I, I think I learn something everything every single time we're on here. Don't you? It's it's incredible how mature he is and how he. I mean, you think that he was a coach, right? With the, with the answers that he gives, and that's just kind of the that's the program. I mean, that's the University of Utah. I mean, it's all about preparation and not taking any weeks off and not looking ahead. And yeah, you know, it's it's fun at the beginning of the season to circle certain games and whatnot, but all of that goes away the second the season starts. And um, I, I can be certain that no one's looking ahead to USC. Everybody's looking at UCLA this week because, I mean, this is a good opponent. This is a 5-0 and team that just waxed Washington at home. So, I, I mean, Washington did make a game of it uh, in the second half, but uh, – May, may have caused some some panic attacks over on the UCLA sideline for a little bit. But, uh, I mean, UCLA really put the the throttle down in that first half, and everybody was, you know, taken aback by that. I think I had uh, – actually, I don't know if I picked that one or not. I can't remember. I don't even know if it was one of our pickup picks. But uh, I feel like Utah – kind of took that next step forward in beating Oregon State. That was kind of the the hangover from last season with the uh the 42 to 34 loss up in Corvallis and that was kind of the game where it was kind of the anomaly for the rest of the the season, right? It was like 
Utah had corrected most of its woes um, via special teams, offense, defense, and then it kind of everything kind of came unraveled. I mean, you had a targeting uh, call with the player thrown out in the first half. You had a block, two block punts. One of them happened to be returned for a penalty. But, uh, you know, everything that Utah did wrong last year, they corrected. And outside of, you know, some running leads, and everybody's talking about, oh, Oregon State was able to gash Utah's front. They didn't gash Utah's front. They averaged four yards a carry, and they have probably have three – uh, potential NFL players on their offensive line. That's a good front. And Utah didn't, they gave up a few big plays, but it's, it's the same bend, but don't break defense that Utah has been playing for decades. Now um, they, they were almost perfect in the red zone and limiting Oregon state from, from not getting any touchdowns. Uh, I think Oregon state had what four or five trips in the red zone and only came away with one touchdown. So uh, that's really impressive. And you have to, walk away from that game feeling uh, more confident about Utah's chances to win the Pac-12 than you did, you know, maybe, you know, going into that game before. Um, just because Utah hasn't really played. That was the, the the first opponent that Utah's played that's been somewhat decent since Florida. Yeah, and I, and I think it'd be real easy to kind of look at Utah's scores against Oregon State as well as Arizona State compared to USC and say, oh, Utah's just that much better of a team. And I don't think that's necessarily a fair comparison. I think that, you know, they're different matchups, different things happen. You don't know what a team is doing. Uh, kind of to your earlier point, uh, you know, I don't I don't see this schedule as being a schedule that Utah is going to overlook anybody, especially it, this stretch, right? Well, maybe once they get down to Stanford and Colorado, which Colorado is the last game, that that might change. But I think this schedule pairs up very well in a way that, you know, you're going into UCLA. You're not overlooking them to go to USC. You're, you're going to USC, not overlooking them to go to Washington State. You know, all these things kind of pair up and they work well this year as opposed to maybe last year or in years past where, you know, you go to Oregon State last year and it's not that you're necessarily overlooking them, but you are in a lot of ways, right? You're you're coming in there thinking, okay, we're going to go up against a tough team, but we're clearly a better team. This year, you know, they're doing a really good job. And I think, you know, to, to my earlier point about comparing Utah to USC, I think it's, it, it's in how the trajectory of the program is going, right? I think Utah they look like a, a, a more complete team at this point, right, on offense and defense. Whereas USC, there, there has been some struggles. You know, their offense, obviously, if they can get it going, is one of the most potent offenses in the, in, in the Pac-12. But they have to pair that with their defense, you know, and you're starting to see that they allowed Arizona State to come in and they, they, they gave up some things. So, you know, I think this type of a game against an Oregon State team that is really solid, that really helps... Utah kind of show who they are, right? And I think this game is another one of those stepping stones, that, that those building blocks that allow us to be able to see, is Utah legitimate, right? Are they really the true contender in the Pac-12, or are they just kind of, you know, middle of the row? I wouldn't even say middle of the row, right? I, I think everybody understands that they're not there. But I think you have to win these games, and you have to be able to continue to progress. And the fact that you won a game 42-16, to 16 and there's so many things that you can, you know, pick and, flaw, you know, look at all the flaws about... That says a lot of things about a program that is is still really hasn't hit its stride. You've you've got a lot of opportunities still on defense. You've still got a lot of opportunities on offense, and so I think that that bodes well for this program moving forward. Uh, it's just a matter of can they continue to keep that up, knowing that like what Solo said, there's a lot of off the field things that still happen, right? It's easy for us to say, oh, they've hit their stride, and and this game should be no brainer for Utah going into UCLA. You have no idea what's gone on that week, right? Maybe they got sick. Maybe they've had a death in the family. Maybe there's something that happens. And I think 
that's that human side that that changes this game and where each week becomes a little bit more um it, it just changes i guess i should say well, you know, to go back to the Oregon State game, this was Jonathan Smith's biggest loss since Utah beat him 52 to 7 in his first season back in 2019. He doesn't lose games very often by two scores. I mean, you look at, you know, I mean, even the COVID year, I mean, they they played opponents well, including the the game at Rice Eccles. I think they only lost by six. Um, so I feel like Oregon State historically has turned the corner as a program and they're always going to be similar to Utah. They're the team that nobody wants to play because it's going to be that physical hard fought game. And for Utah to win as comfortably as they did says a lot, especially when you look at the week before granted it was in Corvallis, they just barely lost to USC by three and you can't, yeah, I mean, it's always hard to do comparative scores and you know, it, you can't always do that and say that, well, that must mean that Utah's, 30 points better than USC. You can't do that, right? It's all about matchups, and I get that. But the way that Utah was able to play, and it wasn't their cleanest game. Everybody could admit it. There were missed throws. There were, I mean, Utah had a a, a nice drive going. I think it was in the third quarter. Quinton Jackson came in and fumbled the snap, and it kind of derailed the drive. Um, There's things that you can pick up. Your, Your running backs, you know, Tavion, um, Makai, who's been playing hurt, by the way. Um, I don't know if a lot of fans know that. Makai Bernard and Jaquinda Jackson, they average like three yards a carry. That's not enough to get it done. Uh, for a team that likes to run the football, they need to figure out a way, especially against a tough UCLA defense. Hey, you know, everyone's saying, well, UCLA is like a finesse team like in years past. They're not. They're, they're actually, their numbers at least, are pretty good on the defensive side of the football as well. So Utah's going to have to play a balanced attack kind of like what Solomon was talking about with the run and the pass. And it all starts with Tavion. Uh, Utah needs a healthy, uh, motivated Tavion that's going to come out and and dominate. And you look at what Utah's been able to do historically in the Rose Bowl with like a resurgence of like a Joe Williams. This would be a perfect opportunity for Tavion to kind of say, hey, like I'm back, I'm ready to go 100%, I'm all in, and, and be able to take it out on the Bruins. Because Utah needs all of their weapons, uh, especially since not having Brant Keithy anymore. Yeah, you can't have your, your your quarterback be your leading rusher. Now, that's not to say that that's not going to happen from time to time, but there was a He's huge... He's got to learn to slide. He's got to learn to get out of bounds. Well, and, and, and there was a huge disparity between Cam and the next person. I think he had 72 rushing yards, and the next one had 19. I mean, like, that's that's huge. So you, you, you do need an, a much improved run game. You need those holes to be able to be there. Um, Oregon State filled those, right? I mean, a lot of what... Utah's problem was on Saturday was simply Oregon State's defense just doing a phenomenal job. So I, I, you know, I think I think that's going to change a little bit this week. Uh, You did mention UCLA's defense. Uh, You know, it's hard to fully see if they are fully there yet, right? In the sense that their first four games of the season were kind of not really a good test in terms of like what that means. And so that's fair. Yeah, and and I think that's that's what's always so hard with with everybody that wants to look at stats, right? Like it's really easy to say, oh, they held them to eighty yards and they've done this, and it's like, sure, they have. That's what's there, right? But at the same time, you have to look at the quality of the opponent, which which isn't always an easy metric to measure because of the disparity in college football ball and and who you're playing and everything that way but but the reality is is this is still an there's still opportunities here for utah to attack this defense so far ucla that you know they're much better in the run game than they are in the passing game and and so i think you have to look at that and say look if you can get tavion going or even if they bottle him up for a little bit you still have to have that passing attack you have to have cam 
you know, progressing to that same level that we saw last week where he hit eight different wide receiver or receivers. Well, you know, they weren't just all receivers, but you hit eight different targets. You had guys that were able to, to get open, that they made plays. You know, you, you've got opportunities and you have to be able to do that. If they can get that and be successful, I think that does relax the defense a little bit for UCLA and allow Tavion to really explode, right? I wouldn't be at all surprised if Utah tries to start this game in a passing attack and try to really like go high tempo, try to do a different thing that way and really put UCLA uh, you know, in a situation that they don't feel comfortable and then you unleash the rushing attack of Tavion. If he you know, if we really do get to see him like like Kyle has kind of mentioned, that could be an explosive opportunity for Utah. Obviously, on the defensive side, that changes for Utah. They have to to, to worry about Dorian Thompson-Robinson and and kind of his uh, maturity and, and growth over the five years that he's been with the program. That's going to be something to watch. But I, th- but I think there are opportunities here, and I think you're seeing them grow, and it's, it's a great opportunity for Utah to really just kind of show that they're there. You know, people are going to look at that Oregon State win, and they're going to say, okay, that's a solid win. And, and Utah got one bump up in the, in the, in the polls. But you go and beat an undefeated UCLA team, which, you know, people are still skeptical on, right? Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that everybody's going to say, oh, UCLA was this great team. But if you can go do that and you can do it in, I don't even say convincing manner, but if you can do it in a way where it looked like you controlled the game, I think a lot more people are going to go buy back into the Utah program and see that they are real. I don't know. What do you think? I, I completely agree with everything that you said, and it's going to be a, a tough test. Uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson's a senior. He's been with Chip Kelly now for, I think this is his sixth season. I think he had the, the obviously, the fifth season. I, they had the, the COVID year where it didn't count. So he's 11 touchdowns, one interception so far this season. Now, granted, they've only played you know, one opponent in the top 25, but against that one opponent, he was 24, 33 for three fifteen with three touchdowns, no picks. I mean, how do you defend that? Yeah. It's the, difficult. The, the uh, Oh, and Eddie, he added uh, 10 carries for 53 yards on the ground. You know, if Utah, you go back to what Utah struggled with in week one, it wasn't Anthony Richardson's passing per se, or his rushing. It was the combination of both, mm-hmm. right? It was, it was the fact that he could, be elusive enough in the backfield to buy his receivers time to then throw it to wide open guys. Because I mean, no, no defender is going to be able to defend even Clark Phillips himself. They're not going to be able to defend for seven, eight, nine seconds. Yeah. I mean, the defense has to hit home eventually. And if you can't get to the quarterback, if you can't create havoc, then you failed as a defensive front. Um, you got to help your secondary. They can guard, but they can't guard for that long. <laughs> Eventually, he got it hit home. Well, you can't so, over-pursue either, right? I think that was part of the no, problem and in that, And that was the mistake. Exactly. Yeah, the, you had players trying to do too much, right? You had linebackers biting on run fakes. You had um, people that were trying to overcompensate. And that, and that just, you know, this was a young defense that was breaking in a lot of key position groups that, you know, you know, maybe if you play Florida in week three, it's a different story because you have a couple of games under your belt and you can gel. I mean, Utah's, you look at the other side of the football, Utah's offensive line struggled mightily last season, right? And then all of a sudden week three or four, they started to gel a little bit. That's just because they have the consistency. The same thing goes on the defensive side. You you have to be able to trust the player next to you and know that, hey, you know, if I go here, then he's going to be here. Uh, you know, Utah mixed in a little bit of zone coverage, uh, against Oregon State, and it completely threw them off. It's like they didn't know what to expect. <laughs> so I, I feel like the more playing time that this defense has 
to play together, the more comfortable Morgan Scali can be in dialing up different variety of uh, schemes. And I, I would be surprised if Dorian Thompson Robinson has a similar effort to what Anthony Richardson had. I think that Utah's going to spy Thompson Robinson as much as they can. And, and unless the running game gets out of hand with uh, Zach uh, Charbonnet, which he's very good and, but granted, they just haven't played that uh, high-caliber opponent outside of Washington. So we'll see. But uh, I, I think that Utah's going to have to slow down the passing attack of Dorian Thompson-Robinson. So I, I don't know. This will be an interesting chess match to see what Utah does to kind of counter uh, what UCLA has been able to do so far on offense. Yeah, I think this is this is an area where, you know, this is where Morgan's going to get paid, right? I mean, he is getting paid, let's be real. We under, we've seen his contract recently and kind of what's there. So, I, I he's he is getting paid, but I I think this is the type of game where he has to really show what he's going to put his defense into that that's going to work, right? You you've seen now two mobile quarterbacks and granted Anthony Richardson was the best of the bunch. Um, but he, like you said, he he didn't have a passing game. There really wasn't a passing game there. It was more just Guys, you know, over pursuing, biting on the the you know the run fakes or whatever, like you mentioned, and so you have to be able to make DTR a little bit more um, one dimensional as as best as you can, right? He's never going to be that way, especially when you have you know the the, the assets around him. But you you've got to be able to try to find a way to negate some of that, and and you're seeing Utah doing some of that with maybe putting five down linemen. They're putting different guys there. Maybe they spy. Uh, you know, I think all the fans want somebody to spy on DTR to be able to make sure that he doesn't escape. But you, you've got to be able to do that, as well as you also now have a defense that is maturing, right? Moamud Diabate is now back in the lineup, and that was his first game last Saturday. And it was funny because it felt like every single third down, a key third down, Diabate found a way to get a stop, right? It was always a TFL or, or something close to that. And so... You know, I think somebody like him who's now being acclimated again back to the defense after an injury, that's going to help, right? You're going to get guys that are in there, they're progressing, they're doing things, Lander's in there, you've got Karene who's been a, a good consistent force there, Cole Bishop who, you know, obviously can play up more in the box and, and, and really be that physical force there. Clark can be, you know, a no-man's island out there where he can just go to go to toe-to-toe with anybody out there. This defense is growing, and I think for me, out of everything that I've seen week to week, that that you have to be most impressed with, and I think that's what they can do against this UCLA team, right, is can you continue to make those progressions? And if, and if you can stop a run like a, a team like a DTR, who, who clearly is one of the best mobile quarterbacks in this conference, that's really scary for the opposing teams, right? Like if you can now finally stop that, Utah is a completely dangerous team because now they've made you – uh, they've made one of the most dynamic offenses in terms of being able to just have a good run game and a passing game. They've made them stopped, right? And so that that bodes well going into USC. It's a different quarterback, obviously, with Caleb Williams, but that bodes well in that respect and being able to kind of combat that stuff. So uh, it'll be an interesting look to be able to kind of see what Utah does with that, what Morgan dials up, what kind of blitzes he has, if he does that or if he stay, keeps a little bit more safe. I think in some respects you have to you have to get those havoc plays, like you said. Those guys can't have those seven, eight seconds where they're just left out on a lurch, right? Like they have to be able to hit home and, and they've had success against him in the past. Now he's maturing and he knows how to get out of the pocket better. So it'll be interesting to see how those two teams work together. But don't I mean I'm sitting right here today, like it's it's a Wednesday he's going to go off for a little bit, right? There's going to be some runs that you're going to be really frustrated with. He's going to break free for 20 yards or whatever it may be. And if he doesn't, <laughs> you know, great for Utah. Right. But don't don't be surprised by that because I think, like you said, once they get into the red zone, 
that's where Utah's really stepped up and 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 at least showed their their medal. And to kind of add to that is, you know, with that bend but don't break, the, the best defense can also be a good offense. And if Utah's able to control the clock, control – like, you look at the second half of the Florida game, you know, barring – if you take away the uh, the interception and you take away the the, the th- second, third, fourth, and goal, well, let's just ignore that, you know, <laughs> just for my for my argument here. If you take away that, Utah controls the, the, the tempo of that second half, and it really limited the chances of Anthony Richardson, right? If you're able to control the ball, it keeps your defense fresh. And so you're not – you're not having to be on the field for seven, eight minutes at a time. You're you're kind of getting that that break when you're having to chase around. And and it's one thing to chase after a running back. It's another thing to chase after this quarterback that's just running all over the field. And these linemen, we've seen a lot of linemen play for Utah so far. Uh, Morgan Scally shifted to more of a heavy defensive front in the second half of that Oregon State game, and, and it worked. Uh, Oregon State was not able to run the ball as aggressively and successfully as they did in the first half. So I, I think that the the depth that Utah has this season has been tested, but it's been so far so good as far as uh, Utah being successful. And we've seen the the program come a long way and you know if the if the if the your starter goes down at a certain position you've got another guy that's yeah he may not be equally as good but he's sufficient you can plug him in there whereas in in years past it's been a significant drop-off when you don't have the depth at a certain position let's say cornerback in the rose bowl and you have to start a running back because you don't have a guy fast enough to keep up with jackson smith and jigba which i mean quite honestly there's very few in college football that can um, I mean, that's going to be a problem. So it has, it's been tested at Utah, but Utah has passed that test and I've been pleased with, with what I've seen. And I expect Utah, if they can get the running game going, I expect to see more of a game plan where they do some play action passes to, to Vele and solo and really try to limit the, the offensive chances of Dorian Thompson Robinson and really slow the game down. And if it's successful, we'll probably see the same thing the next week against U- USC. You know, you've mentioned it a little bit and you kind of touched on it, but what what do you think, bar, you know, outside of the actual result of the game, what is going to give you most confidence about this Utah team uh, in this game? Uh, controlling the mobile quarterback. That's the that's the the huge question mark that I have. I think that Utah's proven that if the running game's not working, they can pass it. If the passing game's not working, they can run it. They're going to find some combination of things that work. They've they've eliminated some of the slow starts that they've had. They had the you know the first time that they touched the football. Granted, it came off an interception. They turned it into seven points on Saturday. I guess the really good defense too. So I, I like what the improvements that I've seen from Utah on the offensive side, and it seems like each week they get a little bit better. You see that they're they're outside of the the run game, and you could say that not having a, a, a Tavion Thomas that's taking fifteen to twenty snaps is the reason why that is, and your second string guy is playing hurt, and so you're really having you know Charlie Vincent who let let's you know he's he's out there for playing significant minutes for the first time in the season in a critical third down. And that's his first chance that he has to try to catch a pass. Yeah. I mean, that's just a hard thing to, to ask somebody like that in their first <laughs> real game experience of the season outside of mop up duty against, you know, maybe a Southern Utah. So I, I feel like Utah needs to have a healthy Tavion. And, and we said it last week and it didn't actually ha- happen. You know, Utah was able to move the ball through the air. Kind of shocked me, to be honest, because Oregon State secondary seemed to play very well. But Jonathan Smith and his defensive staff made the um, 
made the option to try to slow down Utah's running game by moving extra guys into the box. And so that's why Utah took so many chances down the field is because, you know, if it's single coverage, Cam's going to take that throw nine times out of 10. Absolutely. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to try, he's going to trust his receiver. Now what he's not going to do is throw it into double coverage. We're not going to see that. There's safety help over the top. He's not going to make that throw. Um, And that's just, you know, Utah's, don't don't turn the ball over. What what I would like to see, and what would really you know kind of solidify that to get back to answering your question is just can Utah contain a mobile quarterback? And historically, they they they've had success at it. Certain seasons, they haven't had certain success uh, other seasons, and it's all dependent on personnel and who you have. Uh, last season, you know, you, you look at the mobile quarterbacks Utah faced; they were unsuccessful against you know Jaron Hall. Jaron Hall's good. Uh, they were very successful against um, some of the other court mobile quarterbacks that they've, they they faced, though. So Utah faced it early in the season. They were unsuccessful. They faced that same situation later on, and they were. So they did improve. Can Utah show that they've improved in containing that? And I think that if they can, and they can make UCLA one-dimensional, um, that, that's when Utah thrives. I mean, I, any defense really is going to thrive. If you can limit what the opposition can do um, from a personnel standpoint. It really simplifies the game plan. And um, I mean, I, you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself, but if Utah can do that, they, they, they could easily win this game pretty comfortably. Yeah, I, I um, agree. I mean, there's, there's, this is one of those games, Utah's favored by four and a half points. Right. And I, and I think that's an appropriate line. I think that's one of those things that, that looking at it on the surface, this is, this could very well be a close game. But I think if this is a game where Utah is able to control it from start to finish and they're able to do the things that we've talked about, you know, I'll add on to that, you know, making sure you have that effective run game on, on the offensive side, obviously. Uh, that, that, I think, allows Utah to win this easily by at least a touchdown. I think that's kind of the, the you know, the, the bar that, that Utah can get. Now, I don't want to sit here and, and, and give these unreal expectations for this Utah team, right? Like, I understand that each game isn't going to be a blowout win or maybe even a no. blowout loss. But I think that's that's where it is. If Utah is able to control the game the way that it wants to, or at least win in a lot of fashions, um, I, I think this becomes a, a comfortable win, maybe even 10 points, something like that, that, that allows Utah to be able to kind of show that it's, it, it's where it needs to be, that the number seven ranking at the preseason wasn't just a fluke. It wasn't just this thing where, oh, we, we bought into it, and then Florida, which looks like dog meat lately, you know, they, they've made Utah look terrible. No, I think that's one of those areas that I think is going to help Utah. And and, and even if they win by four and a half or five, obviously can't win by four and a half, but if you win by like the field goal or if you win by a touchdown, I don't think that changes the narrative. I think a win here, no matter what, as long as Utah did things in a successful way is going to be beneficial to them. I completely agree. I'll, I'll tell you, it, it, we, we always talk about, well, what is it going to take to win? I'll, I'll tell you what it's going to take to lose this one. Utah's going to give up a special team's, you know, oh. touchdown of some sort, whether it's a blocked punt or Don't a kickoff return. They're going to have multiple breakdowns on Dorian Thompson Robinson getting to the edge. Uh, Bobo's going to go for 100 yards receiving. Truck Carbonet is going to have over 100 yards rushing. Uh, it, it's going to be like this comedy of errors where everything seems to go wrong. Um, and, and that's not to take away from what UCLA is. It's just Utah has proven that even if they're not playing their best game, they're still gonna. They're still gonna be competitive. Um, they're still gonna the, to find a way. And you know, it. I feel like everybody's pointing to um, 
to UCLA all of a sudden is kind of like the star horse Pac-12 candidate. I feel like all the pressure is on UCLA. Uh, Utah kind of already has the, the loss earlier in the season. Um, they're still, yeah, they're they're the higher ranked team. But I feel like Utah's playing loose right now. They're, they're playing with um, just kind of that swagger that you like to see. Um, and, and I don't know. It, it just seems to be that uh, based on what we've seen so far, um, you know, granted, you, you just throttled a quality opponent, and, and, and that and that gives you confidence going forward. Now, granted, the the score doesn't carry over into the next week. You know, it, it's it starts out zero zero, and and penalties and uh, untimely um, uh, mistakes. I mean, th- there were a couple opportunities that Oregon State had where there were guys wide open and the quarterback just missed them. You know, if Dorian Thompson Robinson's probably going to be able to be accurate enough to hit those. So if you have a blown coverage, consider it six the other way. Mm-hmm. Um so Utah's got some things that they need to work on. But all in all, Utah's improved incrementally each week. And yet we've we have not seen their best game yet. Uh, I still believe that there's more to see and the potential uh is still there. Now granted they could come out and lose to to UCLA um doesn't really change the the, the I mean it, it changes the the outlook of making it to the college football playoff I think that so many things would have to happen for Utah to still be able to do that that it's still an outside shot even if they run the table you're still having to wait for other teams to lose and it's all based on you know the the playoff committee and how they view you and it, you, you beat up on these teams and suddenly your conference is weak because you beat up on everybody and it's like the, the SEC the, they don't get the SEC treatment that uh, you know um or the Big 10 treatment so i feel like to win the conference this is a game I mean, you don't have the division standings anymore, right? So you, at the end of the year, your top two teams uh, are going to face each other in Las Vegas. So UCLA right now is undefeated in conference play. Utah's undefeated in conference play. USC is undefeated in conference play. Oregon's undefeated in conference play. So these are the teams that you're going up against. Um, and all you need to do is to be at the top to have a shot at the Pac-12 championship game. So this is an important game just because it's an undefeated conference opponent. Um, and it's on a national stage. Um, it kind of, you know, we talked about it with Solomon a little bit where Utah's going back to the Rose Bowl uh, in a game where, you know, in all intents and purposes, it was a close game, hard fought game. Utah lost it at the end. Um, but uh, I, how do you see Utah playing in this one? I, I've been talking a lot. How do you see Utah playing? And, and do you see any emotional letdown from last week's big win? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think like you, you mentioned, they're playing with a, a confidence that allows them to really just play the game that they love. Right. I mean, I think I, I think it was like I talked to Junior Tafuna, who uh, in the in the first week, he said, honestly, like we, we did feel the pressure. Right. We felt the pressure. You're in an SEC environment. You're in an environment that really doesn't happen that often. You know, you come in as the number seven team. People are talking about you as a college football playoff contender. And, and that got to them a little bit, right? I mean, they're humans, right? Like your your college kids, they don't necessarily read all that stuff, but at the same time, you still feel that pressure. I think right now what you're seeing from Utah is is a team that they don't care, you know, about the college football playoff. Like if it happens, you know, it happens, right? I, I think maybe that pressure comes along later on in the season if they start winning these games. But you're seeing a team that's honestly just about its business, right? They don't they don't seem um, hurried along. They don't seem like they're they're sweating anything. You can even see that in just the way that Cam Rising plays, right? That very first week, he looked like there was the pressure on his shoulders that like I have to go win this game. This means everything to us. 
Whereas right now, it's not that he has been perfect by any means, but he's playing with a confidence that allows him to be able to be successful in the position that he's been given, right? He's now had his number one target taken away from him, and Utah still found a way to get it done. And they scored 42 points. Now, sure, you can throw in seven of that as attributed to Clark Phillips, but at the same time, like... They're playing with a confidence that they they don't really care what's going on around them. They see this UCLA game as as being a big big game, but once again, it's one of many. You mentioned three teams right there that they're going to play. All of them are still undefeated in conference play, right? You're not going to overlook these teams. You're not going to worry about anything else out there. And if we win this game, we're set. They realize that there's still seven games left in the season that they have to worry about, including UCLA. And so I think that's kind of what what gives you know, them confidence in, in being able to say like, this is what it is, you know, that we can come in here, we can just play our game. We're going to go into the Rose bowl. doesn't matter that we lost here. The last time that we were here when we played Ohio state, that's a different circumstance. Everything changes in this game. Right. And I think that's how it's going to be played out. So for me, I think this is just kind of that, that area for them is they're playing with confidence. They're playing with, with, you know, no worries, I would I would say. I, you know, I'm, obviously there's worries, right? It's, every game is pressure. But I think you're seeing it in a way where they just feel comfortable in who they are, and, and that's allowed them to be successful. So, uh, you know, I, th- I think that's kind of how that's going to play out that way. Uh, without uh, divulging your pick prediction for this week, are, are you leaning Utah in covering the spread at least, or are you thinking UCLA is for real? I mean, I mean, I think UCLA is for real, right? I don't think uh, they're not. I, I think their first four games of the season give us kind of a false understanding of who they are, uh, especially with Colorado mixed in there. Um, but I, I think they're real. I think they've done some good things, but I want to see more. I want to see how they do against uh, a, a Utah team. But I, I kind of... Uh, Gave away my pick a little bit in some respects. That I, I, I see Utah at least a seven-point win in this. So, yes, I have them covering this. I think this is something that, that Utah, if there's, long, you know, barring injuries or setbacks or massive amounts of turnovers, I, I see this as, as their favor. But what about you? Yeah, I, so I look at all the, the different computer projections and models, and um, it, it's crazy how um, different the different uh, models see Utah, you know, you look at uh, the Ford K Ford ratings, Utah's a top five team. You look at some of the other ones and Utah's not even in the top 25. So, um, you know, it, it, it all depends on, on who you subscribe to and who you believe. But uh, based on the, the numbers that I've seen, I think that Utah has the horses to, to win this one, but I do see it being a close competitive game. I, I think that uh, it's not going to be a, a comfortable win unless, th- you know, things go Utah's way. You have a you know, Clark Phillips or RJ Hubert pick and you kind of rattle them early and you can kind of coast, or you have a Tavion Thomas that, that pulls the Jill Williams and runs for 300 yards, you know, something like that. That's kind of like the anomaly where, okay, this just wasn't expected. Um, can kind of make the make the spread a little bit more, but I, I see it being a very tough game, and you just wonder how much it's going to wear on the team to play. You know these four tough games in a row, and the coaches say one game at a time. We as fans, we don't have to do that, right? We can look at the schedule as a whole and say, hey, that was a tough game last week. You came out ahead. Uh, you won it comfortably. You were able to give your starters some rest towards the end, which is great. Yeah, I mean, they had like an eight-minute drive to to milk the clock out in the fourth quarter. That was awesome. And that was with your second string plan, you know, Bryson Barnes and Jaquinda Jackson, Jalen Glover. You know, hats off to them for, for, for being able to control the clock. 
Um, but, uh, you know, we'll see, you know, it, it'll all come down to who performs better, who, who makes those key plays, um, and, you know, Utah secondary versus a very good, uh, quarterback. This isn't the same Dorian Thompson. Utah's only played him one time once. Yeah. Right? I think it was 2019, right? Cause he wasn't here last time or was he last? La- la- no. So last season he did not play. Yeah, He didn't play him last season. Uh, it was his backup. Ethan Garbers, I believe who, that's right. Then tra- he was the, the Cal transfer. So, um, you know, and, and it took three touchdowns, uh, three or four touchdowns from Tavion Thomas in that one. Um, Utah never really blew the doors off of UCLA. It was a close competitive game. And that was with their backup quarterback at home in a blackout game. So um, Utah is going to have a, a tough task to 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 uh, to tackle. But some of the other games that we're watching this week: seventeen TCU taking on number nineteen Kansas in the College Game Day game of the week. What's uh, what do you see happening in this one? I mean, we we saw TCU dismantle Oregon or uh, Oklahoma last week. We saw Kansas squeak out a game against Iowa State damn kickers uh, what do you see <laughs> happening here yeah I, I, you know i don't need to go too long on this but i you know i i like kansas i really like what they're doing but i see tcu being too much for them i, I really like what Sonny dykes does as an offensive guy uh he he's one of those guys that you just can't you know take him out and he's done a really good job wherever he's gone and, and being able to scheme an offense that works well and uh, you know, I, I think Kansas is a great Cinderella team this year. It's it's fun to be able to watch a basketball powerhouse come in and, and you know, for the, at least the first five games of the season kind of dominate in a way that we're, we're not used to. The fact that we have college game day this week on the same week as the Red River rivalry and, and the Alabama-Texas A&M game is, is pretty fun. So uh, it, it'll be a fun game, but ultimately I think that TCU comes away with that as, in, in, in a win. Uh, next on our schedule is number eight Tennessee taking on number twenty-five LSU in Death Valley. This this is a game where you look at LSU last week. They beat Auburn twenty-one to seventeen with only eighty passing yards from Jalen Daniels. He's getting a big t- taste of the SEC and how difficult it is. Uh, you know, as a quarterback there, Utah every week from now. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I like Tennessee on the road here. What do you see? I, I'm the same. I mean, I think LSU's defense is, is good, but I love Hendon Hooker and I love what he's doing for that Tennessee program right now. I think, you know, I, I can't remember what the spread is right there, but I, I like what, what they're doing. And I think this may be a close game that, you know, maybe in the fourth quarter that, that Tennessee pulls it out. But um, I, I like, you know, the trajectory of that program and kind of what they're doing. So for me, I'm, I'm a Tennessee guy right here. Uh, next up is Air Force at Utah State. Now, this is a game where uh, Utah State fans have lost all optimism. They're only pre- <laughs> it's pre- gone. Thir- the, the fan base optimism is down to 30% for this one uh, for KSL Pickham. That means that only 30% of Utah State fans are actually picking Utah State so far. Uh, you know, Air Force is a good team, but as we saw earlier in the season against Wyoming, um, you know they they're not invincible. And the way that Utah State played against BYU, I was very impressed with their quarterback. And I, I don't know. What do you see here? Yeah, I, I think Cooper Lega is is a good guy for Utah State, and I think they kind of rallied around him a little bit. I just, I just don't know. Every every time that Utah State plays Arizona – or Arizona State, sorry, Air Force, it, it's a tough battle. Everybody knows that when you play Air Force, it's going to be a dogfight. It's going to be one of those games that you leave just you know happy that you're done I, I don't see Utah State winning this game. I, I still think Air Force, even though they did lose to a, a decent Wyoming team, I think they're going to do well enough. 
Um, it is a road environment for Air Force, so maybe that does change it a little bit. Uh, maybe, you know, Blake Anderson has done a good job of, of continually growing that Utah State program. But I just don't, I don't see this being the game where, where Utah State figures it out. Air, Air Force was, was picked to be the favorite in the conference. And at this point, I still kind of give them that nod, knowing that, you know, they're at least in a better position than Utah State. Though I wouldn't be surprised if Utah State keeps it closer than, than many expected. Uh, lastly, the ga- the big game down in Allegiant Stadium, number 16, BYU, taking on Notre Dame in the Shamrock Series. It's a game where 78% of BYU fans are picking the Cougars. Uh, yet, B- Notre Dame is the favorite in this one. What, I mean, how, what, what, what's going on with the, the Vegas lines here? Yeah, this one, this one's, I don't, I wouldn't even say confusing to me. I, I think that... You know, BYU has underperformed the last couple of weeks, and I think that maybe shows to why the betting line is favoring Notre Dame. Yeah, Notre Dame's only 2-2, two and two, but their their last win was against a decent North Carolina team. Granted, North Carolina doesn't have much of a defense, so it was easy to see them blow them out. Um, but but for me, I don't know. This is, this is going to be one of those games where it, it really depends on whichever team has actually kind of figured out some of what they need to do successful. I, and maybe that bodes well for Notre Dame, who's off on a bye week, right? Like they, they had a bye week coming into this, um, and that gives them a little bit more of an edge. This is considered a home game for them and a neutral side, even though it's far closer to Provo. Um, and, you know, that, that stadium's going to be filled with a lot of royal blue there and, and everything. But for me, you know, if, if, if you're making me pick right now, I'd probably lean towards Notre Dame as just being maybe more of a complete team, especially with their defense. But I've been high on BYU all season. I thought they've been really good. I've been a little disappointed the last couple of weeks in how they've performed. Kalani is frustrated in how they performed, and you can see it in, in the way that he responds to things. So, Look, if, if BYU can come out there and, and and correct a lot of these things, especially in the run game, I, I think that they can win this game. But for right now, I, I'm, I'm leaning towards Notre Dame. You, you So for me, it's how much of the last two games been you've just been playing to the level of your opponent. And sure. it's, as, a, as, as a player, it's tough to go 12 games, get amped up every game like it's a Super Bowl. It's just unrealistic to expect that to happen. Uh, and so you're going to have down weeks. You're going to have off weeks where things aren't going your way and you have – uh, untimely penalties and things that kind of derail you. Uh, it, it really seems like the season took a turn in that uh, game at Otson where they got throttled. Um, can they bounce back? Can they get back on track? Uh, they're they're going to get a good test uh, on national TV against Notre Dame. So be a good one to watch. Um, should be over by or should start, I guess. The Utah game should be over by then. So shouldn't be any conflict there. Yeah, it should be pretty easy to be able to watch both of those games and and, and kind of see how it all plays out and. Uh, it's, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I think Jaron Hall is the kind of the X factor there. He's been really solid this season. Um, if he can find a way to manufacture that offense in a way that works against Notre Dame, you know, I have a hard time seeing Notre Dame winning that game. But uh, once again, I, you know, I, I still think there's been enough flaws in BYU that they haven't been able to correct that I don't necessarily think they can instantly correct in a week that I think that's what gives me pause so but we're not going to tell you who the field goal kicker is because we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna keep it close to the chest I have to as if that's, it's gonna affect any game plan that's that's tough right like I mean that's Jake Oldroyd like he was so solid a couple years ago and then last year you could see the slide and and now it's just all downhill so the, the problem right. is like who are you really going to replace it with? Like, you don't think that if they had a guy that was, you know, pushing him for that spot that they wouldn't have put him in. Like, I think 
that's where they're at, where, you know, like you're kind of riding and dying with Jake Olderoid and you hope that that's not how this game ends, you know, in in the sense that you need a field goal. But in a close matchup, it very well could be. So we'll see. I don't know, Rob, tell where everybody can go to to find these these games and and how they can pick them. Yeah, go to ksl.com, click on the sports tab, and you can go over to pick them. You can create your uh, weekly ballot. You can win gift cards from Golden West Credit Union, tons of money that we give out each and every week. We're giving away 100 bucks to the first-place winner, 70 bucks to the second-place winner, 30 bucks to the third-place winner each week, as well as overall prizes. First place gets 500 bucks. So there's plenty to play for, even if you haven't been playing so far this season. Come on in, join, join a group. Get your coworkers involved. Uh, Glenn, uh, one of our coworkers, was telling me that there's a ward out in Georgia that has like 25 different members. So shout out to them for participating, and we're uh, happy to have you. One of our winners, it was actually a Utah fan from Illinois last week, so that was pretty cool to see that we're branching out beyond just the uh, the Wasatch Front, and uh, we're getting users from all over the country. So that's just really awesome to see. And as another side note, make sure that you're going to KSL.com to fill out your top 25. If you don't like the way the AP's voting, specifically Josh, yeah, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, who's the other guy that everybody was hating from Ohio? <laughs> I can't remember his name, but he, he didn't vote oh Utah He didn't have Utah in the top 25. So if you don't like that, you know, you can come Go to ksl.com, go to the sports tech page as well. You can create your own top 25. And uh, we every Wednesday we'll post the results for each week. So week seven just opened up. And uh, you can fill out your bracket today or fill out your ballot today. Um, and then you can change it over the course of the weekend as the games play out. So kind of fun to do. And you can share it on social media and whatnot. So uh, just one of the ways that we try to increase user engagement here on ksl.com. Yeah, as the kids say, go secure that bag, right? Go get those gift cards. Go, uh, go win. So he doesn't want free money. Exactly. Uh, but thanks again for, for uh, listening to us on the the Utah Checkdown podcast. Make sure you go rate us on your favorite podcast platform, and uh, we will come back with you after the game this weekend. Talk to you later. <laughs>